When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you. Today I am healthy and no longer infectious. My early detection, reporting, and now recovery from Ebola speaks to the effectiveness of the protocols that are in place for health staff returning from West Africa. Almost six years ago, Dr. Craig Spencer was released from a New York City hospital after becoming infected with Ebola. He'd caught the virus while treating patients in West Africa. Unfortunately, his struggle with the virus didn't end when he left the hospital. Dr. Spencer suffered lingering memory and concentration issues. While we don't know much about the long-haul symptoms of COVID-19 yet, there is evidence that a significant number of those infected could see lasting effects as well. But on today's podcast, we wanted to talk about the hope. Because you see, a year after his hospitalization, Dr. Spencer ran a personal best in the New York City Marathon. He's now an emergency physician and director of global health and emergency medicine at the New York Presbyterian Columbia University Medical Center. He's joining me today to talk about his own personal experience and how it might shed light on the current pandemic. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Now, if people recognize your name, it's because they've probably seen you on television, read your your op-eds in the, in the newspapers, but they may also remember that you yourself were diagnosed with Ebola back in 2014. You spent 19 days in the hospital, almost three weeks, and, and there's lots of reasons why you're uniquely qualified to talk about an emerging virus like COVID-19 and how it might affect patients in the long term. But as a doctor, I'm curious, because you, you got sick. I mean, you got really sick. How, how worried were you uh, then about taking care of COVID patients? I mean, I imagine there's got to be a little bit of a psychological hangover from that. There was certainly both a, a mental and physical hangover from that for, for many years. But when COVID came, I felt both kind of emboldened, but also worried like everybody else, because we didn't know that much early on. But what did give me some comfort was that I dealt with this before and I had a lot of skills that I thought would be helpful for my colleagues, things that I had learned taking care of Ebola patients, like, you know, how to use your personal protective equipment correctly. I think everyone assumes that when we go into a hospital, all of us know exactly how to use N95 and goggles and gowns. And we just don't, as you know, we just don't use that stuff as much as people do in West Africa, for example. We've all had friends get sick. Um, Many of us have had friends die from this or have taken care of their colleagues who were really, 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 really ill. Um, That doesn't, that doesn't leave you just like getting sick with Ebola and spending 19 days in the hospital doesn't leave you. But if you can translate that into action and education, I think that for me is the best way to, uh, to move forward. What about long hauling symptoms? I mean, are, are you still experiencing that? 
Thankfully, because I was you know young and maybe because I was active or probably just because I was quite lucky and had received good care, you know, the physical manifestations actually went away and I was able to run the New York City Marathon really uh, a year after I got out of the hospital. Um, but I think a lot of that was also really just kind of my my mental commitment to getting better. But there's some things that you just can't get over. And, and as I've shared before, there are other things that I have, other symptoms that I have so many years after that I think are resonating with, you know, COVID long haulers, people who talk about, you know, brain fog, difficulty concentrating, some of the more kind of neuropsychiatric symptoms that are a little more nebulous, a little less understood. These are things that I, um, as an Ebola survivor, continue to experience um, all the time, you know, difficulty making new memories or concentrating. There's definitely kind of a, a before and after difference that I experienced with Ebola. And I don't think it's unique to, to things like Ebola. I think this is something that we see with a lot of viral illnesses. And we're just seeing it really amplified now by the millions and millions of cases we've had in the U.S., when you think about the long haulers for COVID, I, I, there's no way of knowing this, right? Because we need the passage of time to be able to really know how long is long when it comes to long hauling. But I just wonder if you have any insights. I mean, because again, patients who who are telling me they, they're still not months afterwards, still not feeling well, what would you say to them? Do, do, are you optimistic that these long hauling symptoms have a half-life and, and eventually will go away? There's been a bunch of studies looking at kind of SARS survivors who have shown a really significant long-term impact in a small proportion on their respiratory function, for example, on the persistence of depression, anxiety, um, PTSD, and, and other symptoms, the inability to return back to work at one or two years. Again, this was in a smaller segment uh, of those survivors, but I think what it does is highlight that there is precedent for people continuing to have longer-term symptoms from things like covid um, I am optimistic that, you know, the overwhelming majority of people who get COVID are going to be okay. And in the long run, you know, hopefully we'll have a half-life to their symptoms and will completely or near completely resolve. Remember, we have almost 9 million confirmed cases in the U.S. We likely have many-fold higher actual cases. If it's just a small percentage, we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not more patients who will continue to have debilitating symptoms for months, if not years you know, sometimes for me, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir or I'm shouting into the abyss. I mean, the people who who want to hear you will hear you. And I guess that's what politicalization of an issue means, right? I mean, half the country still says, hey, you didn't tell us to wear masks in the very beginning. So therefore, I trust nothing you say and I will never wear a mask. How do you how do you deal with that? For me, it's not really theoretical. I have a lot of people in, in my life very close people to me um, who say things like that to me quite often. Um, you know, I've just recommended to people to make sure you find a trusted resource, whether it's you or I or the CDC or the WHO or others that have been doing this for, for some time. And, you know, our, our, our whole intention is really just to share honest, truthful, credible science in public health. And I recognize that, yeah, that's become weaponized and people, it's been politicized. So, I'm trying to share a message as widely and broadly as possible and hoping that it gets picked up. You can't disentangle things from politics. I go on TV and I'm a medical correspondent, and yet we have to talk about politics because it's just so completely entangled in this bizarre way. Now, one thing people may not know about you is that when you had Ebola, Donald Trump, who was then a citizen Donald Trump, not, not a politician or certainly not a president Donald Trump, 
uh, went on Fox News and said something about you. And I, I want to play this and get your reaction. I consider that doctor extremely selfish who came back and then he toured New York. I mean, he went on crowded subways during rush hour. They were supposed to be home, self-quarantined, yeah. except they decided to go out. This must have been a bizarre full circle moment for you. You had this sort of strange interaction with the future president six years ago, and now we're dealing with this again in the middle of a pandemic. What was your reaction to that? Quite honestly, I had so many other people that felt the exact same way in 2014, right? What were you doing? You're supposed to be at home self-quarantining, all these other things. Well, the reality was I followed all public health protocols. We had public health protocols with the organization I was working with, and the CDC had protocols as well. We do know that, of course, Ebola transmits differently. You can't transmit until you have a fever. So take your temperature. If you don't have a fever, you can't get other people sick. The difference is that, you know, this has become so political that even despite having had a super spreader event at the White House and the president himself having been infected, you know, it, it seems like this administration just hasn't or doesn't want to learn, doesn't want to capitulate to science um, because for some reason it's going to make them look weak, like wearing a mask. People want leaders that are that are able to be responsible and accountable. Um, they want leaders that are able to protect themselves from getting sick, especially if they're responsible for protecting the rest of the country from getting sick. Um, you know, I, I've, I guess I've disagreed with the president on how to respond to public health threats for a lot longer than I initially understood. <laughs> right. What keeps you positive? Craig, I mean, I, I, you've been through a lot. Um, you, again, you're taking care of patients. Your, your, your frustration at times is, is visible. When I see you on television, read your op-eds, how do, you, how do you stay positive? My experience has been that humans are just, are just good and they want to be good to each other. And so much gets lost in, in the noise. So much gets lost in, in the acrimony that comes from things like politics and disagreement over public health. What keeps me positive and optimistic is that everyone I work with, all of the students that I teach, all of the residents that I work with, all of the colleagues that I work with in the emergency room, everyone just wants to do better and, and, and show up and are motivated and really just kind of honored to do the job that we're doing. Um, I think just having a strong support network in a time when there's so much going on and just having people to be vulnerable with, I think that is, that's, that's what keeps me positive. That's what keeps me sane. That's what keeps me able to keep doing this. I think that's really lovely. But look, like I said, I was really looking forward to speaking with you, honestly, and I, uh, it did not disappoint. So I, thank you for your time, Dr. Spencer. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. And if you're just discovering this podcast for the first time, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so the latest episode will be delivered right to your feed. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening. Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer along with Amanda Seeley and Nadia Kunang from CNN Health. Raj Makija is the senior manager of production operations. This week's episodes were produced by Anne Lagamayo, Emily Liu, Aaron Mathewson, Evan Chung, 
Madeline Thompson, Rachel Cohn, Zach St. Louis, and Zoe Saunders. Nathan Miller is our engineer, and David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Special thanks to executive producer of CNN Health, Ben Tinker, as well as Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.